0: Thank you, Tony. Tony's late father-in-law, Brother Benny Bristow, baptized me. So I'll always cherish his memory and the influence of his good family. I'm glad to be with you tonight. As Tony mentioned, I've been here before and I've known of this congregation now for about 27 years. And all that I've ever known about it is good. I rejoice at the good influence you've had in this area and the long labor that Tony has had here with you and together, you with him and he with you. And I asked him tonight how long he'd been here, and he said, 33 years. And I said, well, you just well stay now, have you? <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to be here and appreciate very much the invitation to be with you. Appreciate the elders of this congregation and the invitation that came from them through Tony. And uh, I always look forward to the opportunity to be with you. We want to talk tonight about being distracted by the world. Distractions are dangerous and can be deadly. We are seeing and hearing on our televisions and radio more and more public service announcements about not driving distracted, especially as it relates to texting and the use of our cell phones. I remember reading just recently, and might pass this along as a public service announcement, if you're driving through Georgia any time, it is now illegal in the state of Georgia for you to have your cell phone in your hand, even if you're talking. That law went into effect just a few weeks ago. So if you're vacationing and traveling through Georgia, you can don't have your cell phone in your hand or don't get caught with it in your hand. Don't have it in your hand. But we're learning about that and hearing about that. We know that in the workplace, distractions can be dangerous and deadly. People operating equipment can hurt themselves or others or damage the equipment. Distractions can be dangerous and deadly. And that is especially true spiritually. To be distracted has to do with having your attention diverted. It has to do with the failure to be able to act or behave normally as you would normally due to worry or whatever it might be that distracts you. But we can be distracted spiritually. And to be distracted spiritually is especially deadly and dangerous. For while the other distractions of this world might harm only the body, to be distracted spiritually can be deadly and dangerous to the soul. And that's the most important part of us. I have long believed that worship... In spirit and in truth is one of the most challenging things that you and I ever attempt to do. And tonight, you and I have to fight the battle against being distracted as we try to worship God in our spirits and according to His truth. And as a preacher in a congregation where I've served various times, and even now, now the last 23 years, where we have the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning after the, or before rather the sermon. I've many times had to rein in my thoughts as we were partaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper as my mind began to drift ahead to the sermon and I have to stop and say wait a minute that that's this is not what you're doing now you're commemorating the Lord's death don't forget that but we can get distracted Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says wherefore seeing we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. We run the race looking to Jesus, but if we get distracted, it will certainly hinder our efforts in running that race. So tonight we want to talk about being distracted by the world. And I want to begin by observing with you the three different ways that the word world is used in the Bible. There are at least three. You've known this and studied this before, no doubt. But one of the ways that the word world is used in our Bibles, the English translation, is in reference to the creation. The earth, the atmosphere, the universe in which we live... The vastness of the many universes, all that God created, in Acts seventeen twenty four, Paul speaking on Mars Hill said, "God who made the world and all that is therein, seeing He's Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands." God made the world. Now, yes, He made us, but there the reference is not to humanity, but it is the reference to the created world in which we live. Again, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, the writer said that He has spoken unto us by His Son, by whom He made the worlds. And so Jesus was the active agent in the creation. But notice the word world there has to do with the created universe. And again, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus. From the beginning of the world, Paul in Ephesians especially develops the concept of the mystery. Showing that that mystery had to do with God's scheme of redemption wherein he was going to save or redeem all of mankind, both Jew and Gentile, in one body. As God was developing that through the patriarchal and then through the mosaical system, it was not clear and evident to mankind what God was doing. It may not have been clear to the angels, because in Ephesians 3, Paul speaks of the fact that the church is the manif- is a manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God under principalities and powers. It's as though as God, It's as though God was saying, Paul tells us, That God says to the angels when he points down to the church and says, See, that's what I had in mind all along. That's what I was doing. But all of that was hidden up until the revelation of the gospel. But it was hid from the beginning of the world. And again, the word world there referring to this created world, the world in which we live. And in 1 John 4 in verse 9, John says, "In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. And thus He sent Him into this whole wicked world in which we live to walk among us and to be one of us. So the word world is used in the sense of the created world, the universe, everything that is. But then it's also used from the standpoint of humanity, the human race. God so loved the world That's not talking about this earth on which we walk. It's not talking about the vegetation around about us, nor the animals. It's talking about humanity. Because it was that world that God so loved, for which He gave His only begotten Son. And Jesus did not die to redeem this earth, nor the animals, but He died to redeem us, humanity. God so loved the world, the human race. Golden text of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And so again, we see world has to do with the human race because it is their trespasses. That in Christ, God made it possible for us to be reconciled and to not have those trespasses imputed against us any longer. Thus, the human race. And again, in Romans 11 and verse 15, though it's not used in the broad context of the whole human race, Paul said, If the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what will be the receiving of them but but life from the dead? The word world there refers to the Gentiles. In contrast to the them, which refers to the Jews who were cast away because of their unbelief. But again, even though it's used in a limited scope there, it still is referring to people, isn't it? Not the earth, but people. Mankind. And then again in 1 John 2 and verse 2. John says concerning Jesus that He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that coincides, of course, with John 3.16, doesn't it? And so it's used from the standpoint of the human race. Every person in this assembly, every person in McMinnville, Warren County, Smith County, where I live, as I was driving over here this, this afternoon, every person that I met, going the opposite direction in their automobile. God sent Jesus to make it possible for each one of them to be saved. For the last uh, about seven years or so, I've been going to the Smith County Jail on Tuesdays at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and doing a a Bible class with the inmates there. When those men come in there, God sent His Son for them. They're a part of the world. They're a part of the human race. Everybody. The seven plus billion people that are living on this planet today. That's the world. But, in the third place, it's used in the sense of the the moral culture and values in which every generation lives. In Romans 12, and verse 2, Paul said, Be not conformed to this world. He certainly wasn't telling us not to be human beings. He certainly wasn't telling us not to conform to the earth upon which we live, but rather that we are not to allow the culture and the values and the mores of the culture in which we live to be our values and our mores. We are to live a distinctive life as a Christian. And if we are Christians, we will do that. But it's very easy to let the world's values influence us if we're not careful, as we'll see a little later on. And then again in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, Paul said that we walked according to the course of this world. Now he's not talking about walking in the direction everybody walks, is he? Those of you that may get your exercise by walking or running, if you go out to do that, you don't have to walk in the opposite direction of what everybody else is walking. When he said walking according to the course of this world, he's talking about living by the moral standards and the culture in which we live, letting that dictate to us what we consider to be right and wrong, good and acceptable, or bad and unacceptable. We don't walk according to the course of this world any longer. In the context of Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, we once did, as Paul says of those Ephesian Christians, they walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So the word world there is used in that, in that sense. In Galatians 1 in verse 4, it says of Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. This present evil world. Every generation of God's people has lived in a present evil world. We may think that the time in which we're living is as wicked a time as there has ever been. How would you measure that? When you go back and think about the days of Noah, when the thoughts and imaginations of the hearts of, of the hearts of man was only evil continually. Well, it seems that way in this day and time, doesn't it? There were only eight righteous souls then. Noah and his and sons and their wives that were saved on that ark. There are certainly are more than eight today, aren't there? But they lived in a present evil world and we do too. As every generation has. And then in James 1.27, James says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James certainly wasn't telling us not to get any dirt on us. And he certainly wasn't telling us that we can't brush up against people and maybe get germs from them, though we prefer not to. But to keep ourselves unspotted from the world means that we don't let the world become the standard by which we live. We have to be pure and undefiled in that context, in that sense. That's the world. And so when you pick up your Bible... And you're reading, and you read the word "world," you stop and ask, "What world is he talking about? What world is meant here? Now let's think about we were talking about being distracted by the world. Let's think about how we can be distracted by the world. in Matthew chapter fourteen, you have the account in the life of Jesus, where, after he had fed the multitude. He sent the disciples by ship back across the Sea of Galilee. He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And at night, He came walking on the water. But remember that there was a storm that had arisen. And those disciples were fighting the elements in that ship, out of that boat, and they weren't apparently making a lot of progress. But Jesus comes walking on the water, and they see Him. They're afraid. And He says, Be not afraid, it is I. And Peter, impetuous Peter, speaks up and says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. And the Lord said, come on. And your Bible says that Peter got out of the boat and Peter walked on the water. Peter did the same thing the Lord was doing. I don't know how far he walked. The Bible doesn't tell us, obviously, how many steps he took. But evidently he took enough steps that when he began to sink, he was not close enough to the boat that he was comfortable on his own getting back to it because he called out, "Lord, save me." But what was it that made the difference between him walking on the water and then sinking? Matthew 14:30 says when he saw the wind. Now obviously he didn't literally see the wind, he saw the effects of the wind, but he saw the storm, the waves, he saw the danger that was around him. As long as he had been looking at Jesus and not looking at the things around him, he walked on the water. Remember Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But storms are a part of life in this world, aren't they? The weather. As I was driving over, I noticed where evidently there were several places where there were trees down And from the storms that passed through recently. We didn't have that kind of damage where I live. But evidently you did here. But that's a part of life in this world. And storms are a part of our lives. The storms may be sickness. The storms may be family problems and issues. The storms could be financial. The storms might take any number of forms as we live life day by day. But those things can be distractions to us as we live if we let them, just like Peter. We can take our eyes off of Jesus and forget who we are and what we are to be about. We can forget that those storms may give us an opportunity to do amazing things like Peter did. No, not miraculous things like Peter did walking on the water. But he did what Jesus was doing. And you and I can do that up to a point, not miraculous, of course, as I just said. But we can be like Jesus. But we have to keep our eyes on him if we would do that. How many of us know people tonight that are dealing with storms in their life and they have allowed that to cause them to drift away from the church? From their former usefulness in the church. I know sickness can be a legitimate thing and can be debilitating. But but how many of us let storms that come up like Peter cause us to take our eyes off Jesus? He got distracted. You may say, Well, it was natural, yes, he was in that environment. But while he looked at Jesus, he walked on the water. And then we all remember Luke chapter 10. Verses 41 and 42, where Jesus had gone to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was there. Martha was busy about trying to be a good hostess and prepare and serve her guest. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And finally, evidently, it was more than Martha could stand. And she went to Jesus and said, Lord, bid my sister help me. Do you remember what Jesus said? Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered about many things. And one thing is necessary. and Mary hath chosen that good part that shall not be taken away. Isn't being a good hostess a good thing? The Bible encourages us in several places to practice hospitality one to another. Even to the point of entertaining strangers. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's part of life in this world. Some of the happy memories I have of my youth and adolescent years are time spent with family. I may have told this here before, but as a boy growing up, the 4th of July was my favorite holiday. I liked Christmas too, but I liked the 4th of July because my dad's oldest brother always barbecued pork, about 35 shoulders. And he'd put those on the 3rd of July and they would cook that meat all night, every hour put hot coals under it. Somebody would stay up with it all night long to keep cooking it, about 10 o'clock in the evening. On the third they would turn that meat over and what stuck to the wire would be pulled off and we'd make sandwiches out of that. Is your mouth watering yet? (laughs) It gets better. And then on the fourth of July we'd eat around 11 or 12 and then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, my uncles and aunts and all that were there would make about six or eight freezers of homemade ice cream. Now your mouth's really watering in Mine is. Happy memories. I've tried to explain that and describe that to my children. They look at me like I'm from another world. They just can't imagine. But I have those happy memories. Anything wrong with that? No. But if that were to distract a person from what our business is really about as a child of God, like Martha, cumbered about many things. You remember what Jesus said? One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good part. Do you know people tonight that get distracted that way? In my career in preaching the gospel in various places, it's not been uncommon once in a while to have a member not be present on Sunday morning and you inquire and they'll say, well, we had company coming. in the case of the wife, I was home cooking. Anything wrong with being home cooking? Not necessarily. But that's not the one thing that's necessary, is it? Isn't that Martha all over? And yet sometimes that have People get distracted. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, Moses told that second generation of Israelites that came out of Egyptian bondage. That they were going to go into the land and be given the land that God had sworn to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They would live in goodly cities that they did not build. They'd live in houses filled with things they did not feel, drink of wells that had been dug that they didn't dig. That they would reap the harvest of olive trees and vineyards that they didn't plant. God through Moses warned them and said in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 12 Beware lest you forget God. same warning is found in Deuteronomy 8, 7 to 11 as he talks of them of the abundance of water that would be in the land. The wheat and the barley and the pomegranates and the olive oil and the honey and all that they would enjoy in that land that they were not responsible for. They would eat bread without scarceness. Think about who these folks are. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Their parents had been slaves in Egypt. They'd had hard, difficult lives. They've been nomads now for the last some 40 years and they're about to go in and live in the lap of luxury. Live in cities. They've not lived in cities before. They've lived in tents as they traveled about in the wilderness as God led them. Live in houses. Reap the bounty of those harvests of fields they didn't plant. They live in the lap of luxury. And the warning again beware lest when you are full you forget God. People can get caught up in the daily activities of everyday life and forget God. You know anybody that's done that? It's always been amazing to me. It, it is even now, and it's been going on now for 25 years. My wife and I, for the last 25 years, first we took our children. Now they're gone from home. We go by ourselves every year at Christmas. We vacation in Pigeon Forge. I take the last Sunday and Wednesday of the year off and just enjoy the holidays a little more maybe because I'm not pressed to be prepared to preach every Sunday. And I take that time off. And we always worship with the Sevierville congregation. And I never cease to be amazed how many people come in at the 10 o'clock worship that didn't come in at 9 o'clock? And I wonder, why? They're distracted. They're on vacation. You reckon there are anybody at Disney World tonight that are members of the Lord's Church that didn't bother to go to services today? Why? They're on vacation. Distracted by the world. Not the world that is... Sinful and wicked in and of itself. The things that are harmless until we allow them to take priority over God. And we get distracted. And the amazing thing is sometimes people get upset if you point out. You've lost your focus. You've got your priorities mixed up. You're distracted from what you are and who you are to be. We can be distracted by the world. But I've got to move on. I've got to move quick. We can be distracted by the human race, by people. In Matthew chapter 10, in the limited commission, as Jesus sent the disciples out, He warned them. He said in verse 34, Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against the mother and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What are you saying, Jesus? He was telling them and He tells us by extension that when we go out and preach the Gospel and we bring somebody to believe in Christ and to want to be in Christ and they're baptized into Christ, their family may not follow with them. And their family may be alienated from them because they've now become Christians. And one of the things I've sometimes have pointed out at the jail and other places, that every person you read about in the New Testament that became a Christian had to change religion. The Jews had to give up Judaism and become followers of Christ. The idolaters had to give up their pagan idols and believe in God and followers of... Every person you read about had to change their religion. And yet today people sometimes are amazed that you expect them to change their religion to believe to believe and obey the truth. There is a man that is a member of our congregation whose mother now dead but when he obeyed the gospel she disowned him. But how many do you know who have compromised on the truth in order to maintain a relationship? You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 points out that though the husband and wife relationship is the closest and the dearest that we're to have on this earth, superseded only by that which we have with God, that if there's an unbeliever married to a believer, and that unbeliever will stay well and good, but Paul says if he depart, let him depart. The believer's not under bondage in such cases. That doesn't mean the marriage vow has been broken. That means that the believer is not to hold on to the marriage vow at the expense of holding on to Christ. If I go home tonight and my wife tells me I'm leaving the church and you either leave or I'm leaving you, I'll have to bid her goodbye. No doubt I'll do it with a broken heart and with tears streaming down my face. But I've got to hold on to Jesus even if it means letting go of my wife. What about our children and our grandchildren? We can't compromise the truth for anybody because we won't really help them if we do. Yet we can be distracted by our love and our affection for people, by our care and our concern for their feelings. 1 Kings chapter 11 tells about Solomon who loved many strange women. He tells us that it included the daughter of Pharaoh, it included those of the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Edomites, the Sidonians. And he says that in the end they turned his heart away and turned his heart away from God to strange gods, verse 4 says. What happened to Solomon? What happened to that man who prayed that great stirring prayer at the dedication of the temple? And prayed in 1 Kings 8.61, let, let your hearts be perfect toward God. His heart wasn't perfect toward God because of the relationships he had. And thus he was distracted. In 2 Corinthians 6.14-18, Paul begins by saying, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's not talking about marriage specifically. That's talking about any arrangement, whether it be a marriage, a business arrangement, political, recreational, whatever it may be, wherein a believer is yoked with an unbeliever and in being yoked with that unbeliever would be called upon to compromise. And in that case, he'll say in verse 17 and 18, Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord, and I'll receive you unto myself. And I'll be unto you a father, and you'll be unto me sons and daughters. We're not to be unequally yoked. That means that if I and someone who were not a believer were to go into business together and he wanted to start selling lottery tickets, I'd have to say I can't do that. And either buy him out or let him buy me out. Or walk away and lose what I've invested. And it would be worth it to go to heaven. Or if he wanted to start selling alcohol or tobacco or whatever it might be. And I'd have to say, we can't do that. And I'd have to walk away. Get out of that yoke. And as we mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul shows that can apply to marriage. And I admire those spouses Who go it alone. Who serve God faithfully in spite of a spouse that doesn't. And they don't compromise. And I admire parents who don't compromise for the sake of their children or their grandchildren. And you don't love them any less than anybody else does. In fact, it could be argued to love them more. Because you're trying to help them go to heaven. But see, we can get distracted by people. They can cause us to lose sight of who we are and what we are. And of course, this old wicked world can distract us, can't it? Romans 12 and verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody faces peer pressure. Yes, it's it's a, a danger that young people face, but everybody faces it. You face it when you go into work. You face it in your recreation. It's easy to get distracted by the world in which we live. We sing a song sometimes, this world is not my home. But we can forget that. Our home is in heaven. That's where our manner of life is according to Philippians 3.21. Our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for a Savior. But we can get distracted. Do you know of any religious organizations or maybe even some former congregations of the Lord's Church who have gotten distracted in the preaching of the gospel? The cause of the world in which we live and the pressure we face. Who've compromised on what it takes to become a Christian. Who've compromised on what the Bible teaches about marriage, divorce, and remarriage couple of years ago when the Supreme Court issued their ruling legalizing homosexual marriages. Oh, the uproar and fury that went on among people. But folks, that's, that marriage, illegitimate marriage arrangement is not any less sinful or more sinful than a man and woman who are illegitimately married. But we've gotten accustomed to that. And that's natural as opposed to the homosexual being unnatural. And it doesn't raise our blood pressure, so to speak, the way homosexual marriage, but both are illegitimate. And we can allow the world to cause us to be distracted from what the Bible teaches and what God expects of us in standing up for the truth and with the truth. 2 Samuel 11 David, a man after God's own heart, didn't he get distracted and commit fornication? He saw Bathsheba bathing. He could have stopped right there and right then. Turned away and went his way. But he got distracted. And committed a sin that would go with him the rest of his life. And the consequences that came into his family. You see, distraction can be dangerous and deadly. Was for David, for that little baby, who was born of Bathsheba. It was for two of his sons who died in rebellion. It was for his daughter who was raped by her half brother. It's dangerous and deadly to get distracted. What about Peter in Galatians 2:11 to 13? There he was in Galatia with brethren of a Gentile background, enjoying fellowship with them. But then when there were certain that came down from Jerusalem of a Jewish persuasion, teaching that Judaistic doctrine, binding the law of Moses on Gentile converts, Peter withdrew. Paul says committed the sin of dissimulation. And even Barnabas was carried away by it. That old racist prejudicial disposition. That influenced Peter. And could you argue as well, out there in the courtyard of Caiaphas' home when Jesus was on trial, warming Himself by the fire, He got distracted again, didn't He? And denied the Lord three times as the Lord had predicted. And it's interesting, you compare Matthew 14, He took His eyes off Jesus and began to sink in that water in the storm out there in the courtyard of Caiaphas, after that third denial, he looked and he saw Jesus looking at him and he went out and wept bitterly. He got distracted. He was in a wicked environment among people who were not of the same values as he was or should have been and he got distracted. folks, All of us occasionally get distracted. We do it in our driving. We do it at home. Accidents happen many times at home and other places because we get distracted. And we suffer because of that. But spiritually, oh, the danger. And the consequences that can come. Even death spiritually. If we don't get our eyes back on Jesus. And remember who we are. And remember what we are to be about in this world. No wonder John would write as our reading was given tonight in 1 John 2.15. Love not the world. Now what world is meant? In the context of 1 John 2.15-17 it may well be the culture in which we live. Couldn't the argument be made, and I don't want to twist or pervert the scriptures, that it could apply to all of them, couldn't it? Don't love this old world and the life that we enjoy in this world. The nature and the beauty of it. The hobbies that we have. The recreation that we have. Don't love that so much that you forget that you're a child of God. And your service to God takes priority every day in every way. Don't love the world in the sense of humanity. Love your family. Love your friends, yes. Love the Lord more. And that's how you'll really love your family. In the example you said in loving the Lord. And certainly, don't love this old evil, wicked world. It appeals to us. Go back to the Garden of Eden. There was, You say, well, there were just two people there. Yes. But Adam and Eve, Eve through deception allowed themselves to be convinced to live the way Satan wanted them to live rather than the way God wanted them to live. He's still trying to bring about that deception tonight in this old world we live in and among the human race. And he's being very successful, successful. And that's why the world is so wicked. Don't be distracted by that. Heaven will be worth every sacrifice you and I make. And it will be worth every ounce of diligent attention we give to keep our eyes on Jesus and live for Him as we make our way through this world. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never become a child of God. You've got other things in mind. Maybe you're like a first cousin of mine now over 40 years ago, just a few weeks before my wife and I married. He got married and I had an opportunity to talk to him and I said, Bobby, the girl he was marrying wasn't a Christian. And I said, you need to be faithful to God and set a good example to her that maybe she'll become a Christian and you can raise your children in a Christian home. And his answer to me was, the only thing I care about right now is making her happy. He died a few weeks ago. And he died unfaithful. Distracted by the world. What about you tonight? Do you need to become a Christian? The whole world pulls at you. Your friends, maybe family, pulling you away from that obedience. Don't let them distract you. Put your eyes on Jesus. He said, if you believe in Me, if you'll repent of your sins, confess your faith and be baptized, you'll have the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul. Maybe you're in this assembly tonight, and the fact you're here tonight speaks well of you, that you weren't distracted by other things you could be doing. But if you know there have been times when you've drifted away, when you didn't render the service to God you could have, or when you compromised the truth when you shouldn't have and you never should, you need to make that right. Don't be distracted tonight from why we're here, to honor God, And the greatest honor would be for you to render obedience to him. Come back and let good brethren pray with you and pray for you. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Live for him. Will you come while together we stand and sing?